be able to stand before you this morning to be able to bring to you a portion of God's Word. I bring you greetings from your brethren down at Branson. Uh, several of you have come to see us and encouraged us while you were in town by your attendance, and we appreciate that. We thank you for that. Uh, the Leatherman family has been a connection between this congregation and Branson for many, many years. We've got... Uh, members of the Leatherman family who've been attending there and, and Jim and his wife come down and have come down and visited with us and uh, we've gotten to know I've gotten to know him and love him uh, and his family through the last four plus years that I've been at Branson and so uh, uh, we are also lifting up his name to God's throne I know this morning at Branson also uh, concerning his health. If you're visiting we're so glad that you're here if there's something that we say, something that I say, or something the congregation says or does during this worship assembly that you do not understand or that you may not agree with, please don't leave here with a question on your mind. Before you leave, stop and say, I do have a question about what you said or what you did or what you did not do. And I can assure you that the answer that we will give you is an answer from God's Word. We will not tell you what we think. Or what we feel will give you a thus saith the Lord for everything that's done. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. We will give you the answer based upon the authority of Jesus Christ. And so that way we can know that what we've done is, is pleasing to God. Also, I encourage you to stay for the fellowship, even though I haven't brought anything with me to eat, uh, to share with you. I'm looking forward, as we say in, in Branson, to your no-pay buffet. And if you're visiting, I know the brethren here would love for you to stay and, and enjoy that period of fellowship and get to know the brethren here uh, better. I've already been fed once uh, splendidly last night over at Bandanas. Uh, your preacher's family, Brother Steve and his wife, and three of the elders and their wives, I was able to visit with them. And... Uh, seems like every time I say, see, I've just come through the winter and I cleverly insulated myself so that I wouldn't have to wear so many clothes, you know, so I'd be warm. And it was time for me to start shedding some of that insulation. And uh, this is going to, this is going to be in a very busy time as far as me being able to do that. Because brethren always feed you when you're preaching. I'm here for this week then I'm back home for a Sunday and Wednesday and then I go to Castleville for a week. And then I'm home for a Sunday and Wednesday, and then I'm going to be at Bolivar. Uh, and, and brethren, they just, well, there's a preacher here. Let's feed him. You know, my first daughter, she was a fat baby. And it's, she, was just, she was just a fat baby. And people would come up and they'd say, oh, what an adorable fat baby. That is such a, here, eat this fat baby. You know, I think they look at preachers that way, too. You know, there's a preacher. Theme this week. Talking about faith is the victory. So every evening we will be discussing a portion of God's Word that has to do with, with faith. Uh, this morning, uh, faith is the victory uh, with the song that we sang, walking, uh, walking by faith, living by faith. We're going to be challenging ourselves with the question, are we truly, did we sing, did we sing the truth a while ago? Well, we sang it was beautiful to my ears, and I'm sure that if we were singing in spirit and truth as the Bible commands, that God 
what he heard, it was beautiful to him too. But the question is, did we tell the truth when we sang that? I'm living by faith. What does that mean? Well, we're going to be looking at some examples of the Lord's life, a couple of them particularly, when it comes to dealing with our faith, living by faith, when it comes to storms in our life. There are two different occasions in in the life of the Lord when he is in a boat and a storm comes up. The first one is in Matthew chapter 8, and Jesus is asleep in the stern of the boat. And we read there that water is beginning to crash into the boat. Now, Jesus is, is in a boat with some men who are accomplished sailors. They're fishermen, so they're used to being in the water. They're used to dealing with rough seas. But this storm is so rough that even those men who are accomplished at being able to deal with the roughness, they're afraid. To the point that they turn to Jesus, who's asleep, laying on a pillow there in the stern and saying, Lord, do you not care that we're about to die? We sing that song sometimes, cares though not that we're perishing. How can someone lie asleep? He's asleep. How can you sleep through this storm? You remember how Jesus stood up and he said, waved his arms all around like this, said, Peace! And be still. And then that storm just began to... And the apostles looked at each other and said, well, wasn't that interesting? No, that's if you've read the story, you know that's not how it went. Jesus stood up. doesn't say anything about him raising his voice or waving his arms around. He stood up and he spoke. Peace, be still. And the Bible tells us there was a great calm. Instantly, you know what that—that that is what—that is what amazed. It says that the disciples in verse twenty-seven. There it says that the disciples marveled. How? Who is this man that he's able to to control even the winds and the waves? Well, how did they come to that conclusion that Jesus controlled them? It's because when he said, "Simply peace be still," it went from being this storm that's about to tear the ship apart to just glass. The water is just perfectly flat. No wind. That's what got their attention. It wasn't, wow, wasn't that a coincidence that the storm began to die down when the Lord, no. Because he said, peace be still. There was peace. But he turned to his disciples at that moment and he said, Oh, ye of little faith, why were you fearful? In Matthew chapter 14, beginning about verse 22, we read about how Jesus, he had, he had sent his disciples away and he had, uh, he had gone up the mountain and he was praying is after he had fed the 5,000. And the, the disciples, had once again, they were having problems with the wind. It was contrary to them. They were out in the middle of the sea. They weren't able to row. They were just basically sitting still. And they look up and they see somebody 
walking across the water. Now, if you're out in the middle of the sea and you see somebody walking on the water, what are you going to think? Well, I'm pretty much probably going to think what they did. You know, that's not normal. It's not normal to see somebody walking on the water, so they're saying, you know, this is supernatural. That must be a ghost. must be a spirit. And so they're afraid. And Jesus, being God in flesh, he knows what's going through their mind, and he speaks out to them, don't be afraid, it's me. And Peter, he decides he's going to bargain with the Lord here. (laughs) Well, if that's really you... Tell me to come to you. And he says, well, come. Now, I just see Peter as he's stepping over that boat. I mean, don't you know that he just said, okay, I'm coming. And he just put his hand on the boat and just vaulted over into the... uh, (laughs) I'm just just sure in my mind that he's holding on to that boat and he's sticking his toe over there and seeing what's going to happen when he hits that water. And then he steps out there still holding on to the boat. I'm just sure in my mind because, you know, this isn't normal. And then he lets go and he begins to walk. And he's walking towards the Lord. He's able to walk on the water. But the Bible tells us that he became distracted by the winds and the waves around him that were crashing around. You see, he's on firm ground walking on water. But it's distracted by all the noise and the commotion and the turmoil all around him. And he took his eyes off his goal. He took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. And he cried out to Jesus, help me Lord. And the Lord reached down and he grabbed them and lifted them back up. And in verse 31 there of chapter 14, we read Jesus saying to Peter, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Verse 33 says that the disciples then worshipped Jesus. John 6 verse 21, John tells us, Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. They didn't just get in the boat. They got in the boat and they're home. They're on the other side. Things continue to happen that just aren't normal. And the disciples said, this is deity and they worship him. Now what I want us to do is talk about these two storms and comparing them to situations in our life. In storm number one, you have the disciples who are completely, totally just, well, how do you say it, freaked out. They are in complete fear. They They have already given up. You know, when they wake the Lord up, they said, you know, don't you care that we're about to die? In their mind, we're about to die, and this is something that we need to be afraid about. You ever had a storm in your life? Now, I'm not talking about necessarily rain and thunder and lightning and tornado, although that's that's something that could cause us to be concerned. But we deal with things in our life to where we go, what are we going to do? We talked a little bit about that in our class this morning. And is it possible that we have the same attitude that the 
disciples had here at this time, and that is, uh, we're going to die. Now, understand, it's pointed man wants to die. We're all going to die if the Lord tarries and and is coming back. We're all we're all going to die. And so, I guess the question is, as we deal with situations that we might cause us to die, how do we approach it? What is our attitude? Concerning that, I've been in hospital rooms and I've been in people's homes where people were dying. Through the years, I've seen death many times. And I've seen brethren who have just very calmly and sweetly closed their eyes and they left this world. And I've seen folks who thrashed about and struggled and resisted allowing their spirit to leave their body. What's the difference? David said in Psalm chapter 23 and verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will resist with all my might go there I will fear no evil I was told that brother Gus Nichols from Jasper Alabama who preached there for so many years that he was in the hospital and a doctor came in and told him Mr. Nichols you know the condition is that uh, there's nothing we can do for you And Brother Nichols immediately began to quote the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And he just continued on and, and, and right there in the presence of that doctor after receiving that news, quoted the whole chapter. And before he was finished, the doctors and the nurses, those that were in the room, tears were streaming down their face. Because here was a man who'd just been told, there's nothing we can do for you. And he accepted it calmly. He accepted it without fear. This was a great storm as far as the world is concerned. We're in a boat with the waves crashing around all about us and the Evidence of the of the that which is natural says we are going to die. How are we going to approach it? Paul said in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse fifty-five: "O death, where is your sting?" Philippians one twenty-one. Paul said, "To live is Christ, but to die is gain." Brethren, do we do we really believe that? We're living by faith. How are we dying? When it comes time to meet our Lord, what will be our attitude? Or if we think it could possibly happen because of the circumstances, do we have the faith to say, Father, thy will be done? 
Or will we struggle thinking God needs some help, needs our help? Then there was the second storm. And in this storm we have the disciples seeing this man walking across the water claiming to be the Lord. And he says, I'm the Lord. Well, um, there's some doubt going through their mind. Uh, Yeah, right. You know, I mean, nobody walks on the water. And so they have doubt as to the statement of God in the flesh. Is it possible that while we're going through storms and God's saying, just trust me. Just come to me. Just keep your eyes on me and everything will be all right. That we, um, we have doubt. Peter, Peter, he started out all right. But we noticed that he began to sink. And when that happened, well, as I pointed out, it's when he was distracted by that which caused him not to think about peace. As long as he kept his eyes on the Lord, there was a peace that we as Christians should understand, a peace that passes understanding. You know, anybody that would look and say, look at that guy out there. What's he doing? He's getting out of the boat. What does he think he's doing? He can't walk on the water. Look at him. He's walking on the water. How can he do that? He's got a peace. Why is he not scared of the storm? He's got a peace that passes understanding. He's got his eyes on the Lord. He's got faith in the Lord. But then he got distracted by the cares of the world, the physical things of the world. Paul said in Galatians chapter 5 verse 7, talking to the brethren there, he said, you ran well. So who did hinder you? He said, you were doing so good at living the way God would have you to live, and suddenly you're not doing so good. You know, this persuasion, this calling, this distraction, it doesn't come from God. So if we're running the Christian race well, if we're living the way God would have us live, but suddenly we're struggling and we're not living the way God would have us live, is it because God said, hey, hey, you need to quit being righteous. Uh, You need to be more concerned about the worldly affairs over here than you are about me. Could you imagine going to a a race of some kind, a foot race of some kind, where as one of the men are running, that the coach runs out to the track, and this guy's way ahead, and he's going, Hey, look at me. Hey, hey, look, 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 I'm your coach. Hey, I'm trying to get your attention. Could you imagine a coach? Why would he not do that? Because he doesn't want to distract that young man. He wants him to keep his eyes on the finish line because he knows that the best thing to do when you're running is not even look to your left or your right to see if anybody's coming up beside you because by looking to the left or the right, it will cause your body automatically to go to the left or the right even just a little bit, and just a little bit could cause you to lose the race. He's not going to be calling to you. The coach isn't going to be trying to distract you. He's going to be saying, keep your eyes on the finish line. Keep going. You ran so well. Who did hinder you? It was not God that was distracting you from keeping your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith.
First Timothy chapter two and verse eight. Paul said, "I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting." James one six. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. What did Peter become? He became like the sea. While he had faith in Jesus. He's walking on water. But when he doubted, when he was distracted by the cares of the physical around him, he became like that sea being tossed to and fro. Brethren, that's what James tells us when we say, I believe you, God. I trust you, God. But then we start questioning whether God really can do what he says or really will do. Maybe we become like Peter, maybe before we even will step out of that boat, before we'll say, okay, I'm going to live the way God had me live, but, you know, i got a bargain I'd like to make with you, Lord. I mean, if that's really you, I, I, there's been many a prayer set out of a foxhole with mortar exploding all around and bullets whizzing over the head of men. There's been many a prayer set by people in their Frady hole when the tornado is circling overhead. There's been many a prayer said by people laying in a hospital bed. Lord, if you'll just allow me to get out of this situation. Let me get out of this foxhole. Let me get out of this danger of the tornado. Let me live. Let me to recuperate from this illness. Oh, I'll live for you the way that I ought to live. Now, is there anything wrong with asking God to keep us safe from harm? Is there anything wrong with asking God to help us get well? Certainly not. But are we bargaining with God? God, if you will do this, then I will do that. No. God... Whether you do this or not, I'm still going to do that. James says in James 4, verses 2 and 3, you do not have because you do not ask, and when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask amiss. I think sometimes we ask and we don't receive it because we want to bargain with the Lord. I remember there was a man that used to get upset. My dad, who was a preacher, my grandfather, who was a preacher, and three brothers who preached, and, and two brothers-in-laws that preached, and now two sons-in-law that preach. Got a preaching family. I remember there was this man that when my father would preach, especially if he preached on attendance, it'd make him mad about the importance of being together so that we can worship and encourage one another and, and how we shouldn't forsake the assembly and and that and other couple other things that would mm, boy preacher he's just make his lip would roll out and he'd just he'd just disappear he'd be gone then after a while he did kind of wear off and he'd feel a little better and he'd he'd come back or somebody go visit him you know brother you need to be back and he'd, he'd come back and I remember my father would talk to him about the fact that, you know, can't go to heaven with that attitude. He'd just get madder. One day he got sick. And he was bad, 
serious sick. So my father went to visit him at the hospital. And when he opened the door and came around the corner, the man looked up and saw it was the preacher come to see him. He immediately burst into tears. Preacher, I know I've been wrong. I know my attitude's been wrong. I know I haven't been living the way God would have me live. Pray for me, preacher. If God will let me get up out of this bed, I will live the way God would have me to live. So they prayed. God spared his life. And he came back for a while. Then he got comfortable. He got comfortable with his health. He got comfortable with the physical things around him. And then he heard a sermon that he didn't like and he stuck his lip out and he went off again. And he got sick and he died in that condition. What's the point? The point is, brethren, God's blessings of whether he's going to Help us physically do things that we want, not need, physically, are not up to us to set the circumstances. Well, God didn't keep us into the bargain. Well, God never bargained. <laughs> We're the ones that are setting all, making the arrangement. When we doubt, it shows a lack of faith. Let me show in in uh, Genesis chapter 22, we read about Abraham. And Abraham, he's, he has to go through his own storm. Verse 22, verse 1, 2, we read, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one side of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, God has promised Abraham that he's going to have a son and that he's going to have descendants that will be more so than you could count the sands of the sea. And he's talked to a man that um, hmm, the Hebrew writer tells us their bodies were dead, both he and his wife. They were beyond childbearing age. But Abraham, he takes that son after he, after the age of 100 years old, has, becomes a father. And God's now saying, I want you to kill this son. Now the question is, how, you know the story that Abraham actually did that, but how long did it take him to act? You know, I know what God wants me to do, and I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm getting around to it. You know, I have intentions of doing what God wants me to do. Genesis 22 and verse 3 says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. Wouldn't you be tempted to say, Yeah, God wants us to go over there, and I, I, this is a good day to sleep in. And there's a few things that I need to do here around the house, around the home, around the campsite. You know, there's just a few things we need to take care of. You know, we're going to do what God told us to do when we get around to it. Abraham rose early the next morning to do what? To go take his son to kill him. 
Why? Because God told him to. James 2.21 tells us that Abraham was justified by the works of his faith. And we're going to be looking at that, Lord willing, more on Tuesday evening. But James 2 and verse 20 also tells us that faith without works is dead. Faith is, has to have action involved. There's two types of faith, James says, living faith and dead faith. Uh, here's an example. You go to the doctor and the doctor says, you're going to die if you don't get some medicine. And here's the medicine that will save your life. You, you take this medicine and you will live. And you believe the doctor. So you get your prescription filled. You get that medicine. You bring it home. And your family says, what did the doctor say? The doctor says, I'm going to die if I don't take this medicine. But if I take this medicine, I will live. You think that's right? I know that's right. And so you take that medicine bottle and you put it up in the medicine cabinet. And every morning you get up and you open that medicine cabinet. You look in there and say, yep, if I take that medicine, I'll live. And you leave the lid on it. Now, you've got faith, but guess what kind of faith you've got? That's dead faith. Because living faith requires action. It's not a matter of just saying, I believe in you, God. I believe that you exist. I believe that you made promises, that you'll do certain things. I believe that. And then we leave the lid on our faith. We don't follow the instructions of that faith. We're not involved in acting. You know, when Jesus was here on earth, there was another storm that he went through the night of his betrayal. When he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26 and verse 39, we read, He went a little farther and fell on his face. And he prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Again, a second time, verse 42, he went away and prayed saying, oh my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. I talked to a man one time, he said, I don't believe in God anymore. Well, why not? Because my mother died and I prayed that she wouldn't. My mother was a godly mother, saintly woman. There's nobody that I know that's ever been a kinder, sweeter, gentler person than this. And I asked God to let her live, and she died. How can I believe in a God that would not save a woman like that? Let me see. You got God's own son saying, Father, I prefer not to die. I'd like, if there would be some other way, not to face the pain, the suffering, and the death that lies ahead of me. But not my will, but thy will be done. Brethren, are we walking by faith? Are we willing to accept God's answer? You think about what Jesus asked of his disciples. The storm is about to tear the boat apart as far as they're concerned. And he looks at them and says, Where's your faith? Oh, ye of little faith. Oh, come on, Lord. Let's be realistic. Let's be realistic. The elements say that this boat can't take much more. 
Yeah, you know, Jesus being God in the flesh, he probably didn't get that. And then he says to the disciples, don't be afraid, it's me. Well, let me walk to you out, Peter says, come to me. Then he starts to sink. Why did you doubt? What do you mean, Lord? Why did I doubt? Look around. There's this storm. Waves are crashing all around us. I mean, who who in their right mind wouldn't look around and say, this is, this is dangerous. And Jesus says, why'd you doubt? Well, be realistic, Lord. We've got a storm going on here. Why'd you doubt? Where's your faith? And somebody might say, well, you know, Brother Kid, well, it's, it's not fair what you're saying there is because um, Jesus was physically with them. Well, where is he now? Where is he now? You remember Thomas? John chapter 11, verse 16, how he had not seen Jesus when he'd risen from the dead. And he says, well, no, actually, John 11, 16, when John, Thomas was saying, let us go with the Lord and die with him. And then the disciples also in Matthew 26, verse 35, Peter said, said even if I have to die, I'm not going to forsake you, Lord. So we've got Thomas saying, we have enough faith that we'll die with you, Lord. we got Peter saying, I've got enough faith and I'll die with you, Lord. But then in Matthew 26 and verse 56, we learn that when the soldiers came and Jesus said, uh, no fighting, but just sword away, Peter, that all the disciples forsook him and fled. Well, why is that? Well, be realistic here. <laughs> There's this mob coming and they've got soldiers and they've got swords and you're telling us not to resist and they forsook and fled James 1, 2 and 3 my brethren count it all joy when you fall in the various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience why is it that God allows us to go through these storms See, obviously, the correct way to pray is not to say, Lord, take away the problem. But, Lord, give me the faith and the strength to deal with the problem. Why did God test Abraham? Why did God tell Abraham, I want you to take your son and go sacrifice him? Is it because he needed to find out? I've heard folks actually say this. Well, he needed to find out how much faith Abraham had. Oh, God didn't know that. You know, being God, he didn't know how much faith Abraham had. Why would he ask Abraham to do that? It's because Abraham didn't know how much faith he had. It wasn't until Abraham, he believed that he had enough faith because he's going through the motions, but it wasn't until that knife was coming down that Abraham, that's why God stopped him when the knife was coming down because he didn't prove anything to God. He proved it to himself. This is how much faith I have. God already knew. 
And by going through the motion, not only did he show himself how much faith he had, but his faith was strengthened by having gone through that trial. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, Peter says he compares our faith to gold that's being tested by fire. What's that mean? Well, when you dig gold out of the ground, it's not in its pure form of what it is refined into when you turn it into jewelry. It's got impurities. It's got pieces of dirt and trash in it. And so they take the gold and they put it into a a fire and they melt it down. And all the trash, everything that's not gold, it burns up. And then they pour the gold off. And then when it cools, you've got solid, pure gold. Peter says that's what God allows to happen with us. We're allowed, our faith is allowed to be tested because, you see, brethren, we don't know how strong our faith is until we deal with these trials. And our faith is going to become stronger and purer when we have to deal with the fiery trials because by going through the fiery trial, all the impurities, all the doubt in our life, because we kept our faith in God, they're burned up. And so after the fire is over, our faith is stronger and it's pure. And it's more precious. So why are we complaining when we have to go through the storms? Paul said in Philippians 4 and verse 13, I can do all things. Well, that's pretty arrogant, Paul. No, that's not where he stopped. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Is it enough just to say I believe? Now, in Mark chapter 9, we read about that man who referred to him this morning in class who said, my child's sick, Lord, will you heal him? And Jesus said, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the child's father cried out and said, I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. Maybe we need to be praying that. Because Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please God. Where does that faith come from? Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. It may be that we need to be spending more time. Absolutely, not a may to it. We all need to be spending more time in God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, be diligent to present yourself. How? Approved to God. How do we do that? By being a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed. Now, when is a worker ashamed of his work? It's when he's sloppy. It's when he doesn't know what he's doing. You know, if you took your car into a a place to have it fixed or something wrong with the transmission, and you bought you a foreign car, it's not an American-made car, and you walk in there and the guy walks up and he goes, Always wanted to work on a foreign transmission. Do you want to leave your car there? Not me. Why? He doesn't know what he's doing. I want somebody that's not going to be ashamed of the finished product because he's shown himself to be approved. He's been trained. He knows what he's doing. When will a Christian be ashamed of his product, finished product? So when we don't know what the instructions say. We don't know how to rightly divide the Word of God if we're not spending time in the Word of God. 
How's your faith, brethren? Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, I'll close with this. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. There was a time in my life where I wasn't paying close enough attention to what that verse says. My wife and I, we've, we've had some storms that we've gone through together. When my first child was born, shortly after getting the baby home, my wife began to hemorrhage. She, never, she, she, she just almost bled to death before they could get enough blood because she, the type of blood she has, they didn't have enough in the hospital. After the first the ambulance driver comes by himself, and we live in an upstairs apartment, and we got to can't get the stretcher up there, so we have to carry my wife in the sheets, leaving a trail of blood through the house and down the steps. And, and the doctor calls and says, start on oxygen or, or, or start on an IV. And he goes, oh, we don't do that. We get to the hospital, and then they don't have the blood that she needs, and it has to come from Montgomery, Alabama, about 45 miles away. State trooper brings it driving over 100 miles an hour. Almost lost my, my wife. A couple of years later, we're expecting another child, and she miscarries. A year later, we're expecting a child, and everything is going well, and she goes into premature labor. We've only got a few weeks early here. The doctor says, well, we've got this new drug that the, the biggest problem is the baby and the, the lungs being developed. If we can get 48 hours in the, still in the oven here, the baby's lungs will develop, and we ought to be all right. So we're praying, God, give us 48 hours. They put that drug in her, and sure enough, we're allowed that 48 hours. But then my wife, when she went into labor and they came in and they started listening to the heartbeat like they'd been doing, I could tell that the doctor was very concerned. And he was listening and he got a special instrument that he actually was able to check the baby, touch the baby's body and check for a heartbeat. And he turned and he looked at us and he said, I'm sorry. Your baby's died. And my wife still has to go through delivery, labor and delivery. Brethren, you tell me what's good about that. Here we are. I'm a minister of the gospel. She's the <laughs> sweetest Christian woman that I know. Dedicated to living the way that she ought to. Ought to in bringing our first daughter up, nurture and admonition of the Lord. And there's millions of people out there who don't want their babies, and they're having them killed on purpose. And we're going to love. We already love this baby. 
we want this child, we want to raise this child to be to live the way God would have them to live. And our baby's dead. What's good about that? Well, brother, there's nothing good about that. And I remember looking, Romans 8, all things work together good. Those look, I love you, Lord. Why does it? All things that happen to you, God didn't say will be good. All things will work together for good if you love the Lord. At the time, we went through, it was a storm that, that really caused us great pain. But we kept our faith in God. God carried us through. 